White Sox fans, welcome into Sunday Funday with Socks on Tap, presented by On Tap Sportsnet. It's Johnny Nani here alongside Tony Marchese and NWI Steve. Boys, I'm not doing too well. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Drink them if you got them. Here's where I'm at, boys. Um, in August of 2008, Slipknot released an album that I think has a title very fitting for where we are at right now. The title of that album was All Hope Is Gone. <laughs> and so I know it's not a Slipknot t-shirt, but I wore a, a band shirt that I think is very fitting for tonight because it feels like we are in the midst of a fucking death march right now. We absolutely are. White Sox get swept in a weekend series against the Rays. Some soul-crushing losses in games one and two. And then a Peter out. 4-1 loss in game three. Never really looked in it. That's where we're at right now. It's the state of the team. They haven't won back-to-back -back games. They haven't won a series. Um, and things are looking right. Um, so I wish this Sunday fun day, but it's day. Socks are doing just about as well as Johnny's internet connection right now, Steve. Um it, it, it it's not a Sunday fun day, guys. It's not. I know that it says so in the in the title, but uh, in how the did business, we get to this point? How did we business, get to this point this quickly in the season? In, in the business, we call this a false advertisement, Anthony. Happy Sunday, gentlemen from, <laughs> from Matthew Lucas. Happy Sunday. He dropped the fun day there. Thanks for tuning in, Matthew. But you're right, Steve. That would be a false advertisement in the business. This is this is a disaster of epic proportions. At least that's what my eyes are telling me. I don't know about you guys. Right. And I, you know, the thing is, I wrote up our notes kind of condescendingly. And I said, you know, brutal weekend, brutal season, no positives. You could go and dive in and talk about some Eloy getting back on track and all that. But my biggest kind of takeaway from where we're at at this current point is any good they do in the future can't even be celebrated appropriately without a miracle run. That's where we're at three, just over three weeks into the season. And that is, that makes me feel awful. I absolutely agree with the point you just made there, Johnny, about any sort of positives they make, because I, I said this to Steve the other day, they're going to go on a run at some point, rattle off four out of five somewhere, maybe hopefully, um, Although at, at, at the point where we're at right now, it feels like that's even like so far of a stretch of the imagination that you have to do mental aerobics and gymnastics to even get to that point to think that they can put together some sort of run. But when they do that, it's going to feel so fucking hollow because of where we're at right now. This team failed to set the tone for the 2023 season. Absolute failure to launch. If you see. If you go and look at the socks on tap Twitter account closely, you'll see a certain term that was removed yesterday. Set the tone is no more. The tone is tarnished. It's um, truly a very sad state of affairs. And, you know, I hate to say this, Yeah, you know, and it, it's funny, yeah, Nathan, you, you mentioned that here. I'm honestly not mad as hell. We've reached the point where I'm fucking numb. That's kind you, of where... you made it there last year, though, Steve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, no. predict, you sort of predicted this. You're you're on track for this team to do uh, well worse than your season predictions, which makes me absolutely fucking miserable. That's what's so disheartening about all this is literally the worst case scenario that I wrote about before the season. It's all fucking happening, and it's only taken three weeks to get to this point, to, to be in a spot where you can't even make it out of the month of April with hope is truly unbelievable because guess, guess what? You go to Toronto now where they haven't played well for years. That could be really fucking ugly. And then you come home to, to Tampa and I was talking about this on twatter.com earlier today because I kept seeing people showing pictures of the standings saying, that, oh, you know, as bad as things are, they're only four games back. Stop looking at the number as far as in the games back out. 
it's five right now. But at the end of the day here, on May 1st, this team has a very real probability of being 12 to 13 games below 500 and like 10 games out of first because Minnesota and Cleveland's schedules hit a soft pocket now over the next 10 days here. Um, this this is really bad. And so I just don't even know where where we go. I'm just piling on to that, Steve. Um, the Twins and Guardians kind of tripped over themselves and the White Sox were not able to take advantage of it at all. Um, so that's one. And then two, I put out a tweet a little bit before the show that I don't foresee them winning a game for the rest of April with where we're at right now. Three at Toronto, come back home, got four against Tampa. I feel like just getting swept straight through that. And it's, it's just so disheartening to even be thinking about that. You know, I was interacting with some people on Twitter.com earlier this morning and, uh, you know, talking about how, you know, they were seven games, you know, they only have to win eight games in a row to get back to 500. When was the last time they did that? You have to go all the way back to 2010 when they had an 11 game winning streak in the middle of that 38 and 12 run that they had in June and July of that year. It's been that long since they've put together a winning streak of at least eight games. That's not how you would say encouraging. And the sad part there, Steve, is even if they did that right now and and broke that sort of, what is it now, a 13-year streak of not being able to put something like that together, I still think that Johnny's words ring true. They've already dug themselves to the hole. They need to do that. And when have you seen that sort of consistency with this with this lineup of this core that we've had here, you know, that was put together, you know, six years ago when we started this rebuild? I don't see it happening. I don't normally subscribe to the NWI, Steve, it's over theory. I like to have some sort of hope for baseball. And this is the most down I've been on this franchise in forever. It sucks. It really sucks. I hate every second of this. And I, I, I really don't blame people who are already sitting there looking for what they're going to do this summer besides watch White Sox baseball because it's fucking ugly. It's terrible. There's, the, there's no silver linings in any of this. Right. And, and Tony, just, just jump on that really quick. There, the the reason that's why I titled this episode what I did the most unfun team in sports. The worst part about it all is they are completely joyless. Besnick and I touched on it a little bit on Thursday show or Wednesday show, and there is no sort of emotion. They don't look like they like each other. I know Besnick brought up the point about what Ozzy said in the past. The only cool thing, like he said, was the Jake Burger bite of the you know uh, you know celebration bite of the burger with Elvis Andrews. That was quite literally the last time that you saw any sort of fun, any semblance of it. I mean, sure, yeah, you won the game on uh, that second one of. Uh, the double header Tuesday, but man, there's you, you go and watch like the Rays, any other team, just you go, go and watch a quick pitch at night and go and see the, sure they're chopping up highlights on that and trying to show you the best of the best. Right. But every other team has something cool that they're doing. The fucking tigers even got a Detroit Red Wings helmet in their dugout and they're taking slap shots with a hockey stick after we don't have anything going. And I'm not saying that's what translates to wins, but baseball should be fun. And right now it's absolutely miserable because well, of what, the what boggles my mind, Johnny, is you've got a guy on this roster who runs a Twitter account called baseball isn't boring in Joe Kelly. And that's his whole marketing plan. And yet he plays on the most unfun team in sports. That's boring. It's boring baseball to watch. And here, Matthew Lucas has a great one in here. The irony of this is the front office probably thinks they have a chance and will sell a level prospects who are performing for a pen arm that flames out at the deadline. We criticize Rick Hahn for having a bunch of lawyers speak. Right now, I feel like I'm dealing with a bunch of politicians just telling you that everything's going to be fine. And it's not. You're literally watching the world burn around you. And, the, the, man, 
the comparisons that you can draw to this team and a lot of other things right now are just right there in your face. It's fucking incredible to watch this dumpster fire <laughs> the way that we are right now. I'm sorry for bringing that into this, but it's it speaks to me when I see this, when I see the comments come out from Pedro Grafol, Rick Hahn, everybody that's involved in this thing. It is an absolute shit show from top to bottom. And I'm pissed. I'm really mad. And that's why, Steve, you know, I tried to stay positive last year. A lot of people criticized me for that. I'm I'm irate at what I'm watching because it, it just doesn't make sense. There and, are, and people still buy into it. There are two points that <clears throat> I want to bring up here. Um, you know, John, Jonathan, you talk about just how joyless this is. Um I describe it as hopeless. I twattered this earlier that there is nothing worse in sports than being an ardent baseball fan of a team with no hope because it is every day. You sometimes will go 18 to 20 days without an off day. So it's there staring you in the face every single day. I've talked about this for years. Being an ardent baseball fan and living and dying with your team every day is the toughest thing as a sports fan in the world. Being a football fan is the easiest thing in the world. It's three hours a day, once a week. If you're a fan of the Houston Texans and they suck, then guess what? You go to somebody's house, you go to a bar, you get a bunch of food, you get all liquored up and the game is just part of the ambiance. You can't do that with baseball. It's there every day, crushing your soul, kicking you in the fucking nuts. This is the worst fan experience possible right now. And, you know, Tony, what you were saying about people making other plans for the summer. I mean, I was planning to go watch this team in Cincinnati in two weeks. I ain't fucking going. I ain't wasting my time with this shit. I was going to go see him in Atlanta against the Barves in July. I ain't putting myself through that bloodbath. Absolutely not. I mean, this is how bad it is that in three weeks, it is just all gone to shit. I can't ever remember a time in my life. Am I all a part of five different decades following this fucking franchise that it has disintegrated this quickly? Even in 2018, the first team in close to 50 years to lose 100 games, it didn't ever feel like this because you knew they were, you knew what they were doing. You knew there was a plan or a rationale behind it. There's nothing there right now. They are literally a rudderless ship with no fucking direction. And that it, it's basically like the iceberg has already hit the Titanic and it is a slow, slow sink into the depths of that ocean. Right now, when you, you use the all of sports kind of analogy there, I'm going to go, let's center it just to baseball here. The White Sox are by far the most hopeless team in all of baseball right now. One might bring up the Oakland A's and you have the announcement that they're going to move to Vegas. And while I'm sure fans in the Bay out there are, that's probably pretty crushing. Don't get me wrong. You get your team taken away. That hurts. However, that is something then to look forward to from a franchise. If you're still going to continue to be a fan of it or fuck, get new fans in Las Vegas, there is at least some excitement, some hope on the way. They've got a prospect throwing 103, whatever. The White Sox were expected to, you know, compete, right? The Kansas City Royals right now, they're, you know, sure, they're they're down in the shitter too, but they can go and look at Bobby Witt Jr. They, they can go and look at a few other guys, Grady Singer, guys on their roster, and, you know, they're not, they weren't supposed to compete, right? Vinny Pasquantino! Yeah, right, right. But other than that, even though some other teams may technically have worst records right now, there's no team as hopeless as the White Sox in all of baseball. And to their point, Johnny, Colson Montgomery hasn't played at all. He's already officially a White Sox. He's got a fucking oblique injury. Yeah. He's out. Brian the Ramos. The Mikata special. Brian Ramos hasn't played either. Noel Schultz, their number one pick from a year ago. He's got a forearm issue. So oh, even the minor, Tommy John then. That's great. So <laughs> even, even in the minor leagues, what can you look at? Okay, Yoelki Cespedes has a 20% walk rate in Birmingham. Cool. He's like 25 all right. Like, wh what are we clinging to here? Tim Anderson recovering from an injury for the millionth time. Yohan Moncada getting healthy and staying healthy. 
which has never happened. You, you talk about hopelessness and, and yeah, I mean, I was sitting there yesterday writing up the article, Johnny, about the White Sox signing uh, Stephen Piscotty. World and then Series I go back look, on confirmed. Yeah. I look back on the, the Charlotte Knights roster. And a couple of years ago, we were sitting here, you know, just sort of pouring over some of these guys who are going to be coming up. You've got a triple A outfield right now. And it's not just the outfield. If you go look at the infield and, and some of the pitching prospects in triple A, but specifically the outfield, you've got Billy Hamilton, Jake Marisnik, Victor Reyes, and Steven Piscotti. There is nothing there that's going to come up and help you. Meanwhile, you log on to Twitter every morning and you sit there and you look at, you know, the lineup come out and it's Gavin Sheets in right field today. No disrespect to my boy on his birthday, but that was a problem last year for this team. People were, were very upset that you saw Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets getting these reps in the outfield. And you sort of look at this and you you wonder why is there no depth coming through outside of Yolke Cespedes? Steve just brought him up, but he's not really even an answer. There is no more, no more pipeline. It's gone. Colson Montgomery might be the only name that you can arguably look at within the White Sox farm system and say he ranks anywhere near what some of these other teams have coming through. Johnny, we, we sit here every day and we, we watch the Cubs guys cover their team here at ONTAP Sportsnet. And there's like five or six guys that they clamor over within their farm system. And I wonder why we had the pain of going through this entire rebuild when they didn't even really like tear their whole entire system down, they were bad for maybe a year or two. And you see them having the fun that we talk about wanting on the South side of Chicago. It's, oh man, it's bad. It's bad. When you look at this and take a 10,000 foot view of the entire major leagues, I think you're dead on when you say this is the most hopeless franchise right now in baseball. If you I want to go the, up, expand it out to other sports, you they're probably top five. I think the only one in Major League Baseball that you can even argue would be the Colorado Rockies. So maybe there's a Juan Uribe curse going around that <laughs> maybe our boy Besnick needs to do an investigation into. I know he's dug deep into the long-storied rivalry between the Sox and the Colorado Rockies, but – there might be more to this. Wow. In full half time here. Socks on tap investigates. Not even 20 minutes in. <laughs> um, guys, I, I know we've kind of talked a lot of kind of like general dread here, which is what, what all White Sox fans are feeling. So we appreciate all of you here in the YouTube comments, Facebook comments, dropping them in here. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on tap sports Ed, on YouTube. Uh, click the like button um, and that little bell. So, you know, when we go live, jump, uh, jump in here. Um, we're here to share uh, the, the pain together. So, uh <laughs> I want to move into a few kind of things that are specific. And I know there's some blame to be tossed around at various levels, right? You go and talk about pitching, you know, not locking in from the beginning, walking too many guys. You go and talk about Pedro Griffol deciding to, you know, intentionally walk a switch hitter to get to the hottest man on the planet, Randy Rosarina. You get to go and talk about all of that. But the two that are, I think, really eating at me the most is the plate approach and then the results of what happened with that. And there's a couple of good tweets out there. And one that I just recently saw right before we jumped on was Jay Kuda um, had, had the graph of where teams are and like how they hit for launch angle and then exit velocity. And the White Sox are in the lower left quadrant of balls on the ground and softly hit. Um and that's not going to get it done. And then you go and look at the kind of numbers like Shane McClanahan posted and all the whiffs and like codify and everybody's going nuts over this. And it's like, it's the fucking white socks. They have no clue what they're doing at the plate. It's honestly not even impressive that McClanahan got those numbers because of how bad the white socks are. That's where I'm at. That's what's really chapping my ass today. <laughs> I'll take things that make Steve mad for 400. Alex, 
I'll let you comment on this, Steve. That's spot on. Uh, Jonathan, I saw, you know, that tweet from Codify yesterday. <laughs> and, um, you know, I literally quote tweeted that. I said, he, he goes, this is truly unbelievable. I go, when you consider the opponent, it's actually not. Because this team, I've been talking about this for three weeks now here. They don't draw walks. They don't hit home runs. When you don't do those things in the year of our Lord, 2023, you don't win baseball games. Offense is very simple in 2023. And I know there's all the talk about the increased number of hits because of the elimination of the shift and things like that. But at the end of the day, literally going back to the dead ball era. So we have over a hundred years worth of data at this point. That's not a small sample size. When you out homer your opponent, you win 75% of the time. I know we already had, I think one or two instances this year where the Sox out homered their opponents and lost, but it holds true 75% of the time. You hit home runs, you win. This team doesn't do it. This team hits home runs and loses. Yeah. But that's a that's a huge problem. But, I was but gonna, the other, I was gonna the ask other... you about this. Ball go far, team go far. When you can't even do that, and I've seen them do it, I think it's been at least two or three times now this season, Steve, where they've outhorned an opponent and lost. It goes back to sort of that that triangle meme, Johnny, that we talked about earlier. You get one and you're going to like I felt like today you got nothing and you were going to like it. That's what's even scarier is there's some days this team completely does, does completely nothing right on the baseball field. But how do you out homer your opponent and lose in this many baseball? I'll tell, I'll tell Are you going to be an enigma by no, the I'll tell, no, I'll tell you how I'll tell you how it happens, Anthony, because if you hit two solo home runs or if you hit three solo home runs and your opponent hits a three-run homer and a two-run homer, that's how. Because your pitchers are fucking walking the entire ballpark. And you, as a team, refuse to take any walks. Look what happened. Uh, apparently, there was that that inning on Friday, because thankfully I didn't see any of that fucking disaster. I, there was that inning where they had six walks, and then they pieced together a rally out of it. It's almost like, holy shit. Maybe, just maybe, if... Somehow, organizationally, they say, hey, we need to fix this. We need to put these guys in a position to have better plate discipline. Maybe just maybe that would change things. I, 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 I've got one comment to jump right off on that. Just I, I had a few conflicting thoughts on this. One, I was hoping that that might be a wake-up call, right? You go and see what happens when all these walks. But the way that it came about was the race the reliever they brought in just couldn't throw a fucking strike. It wasn't us having a really good plate approach or anything like that. He just threw it so wild that we couldn't do it. So now I'm actually upset that that happened because it makes their numbers look just slightly better than as putrid as they should be. And that, I don't know, it, it that's just kind of where my mind went there. And it's like, they don't even deserve that. They don't deserve to be rewarded. They don't deserve to have any little spike or boost uh, just because a pitcher couldn't have, have it right then, you know, because you got rewarded for nothing because Johnny, I understand your frustration on that, but I wanted to ask you guys this. And I, I had this sort of in the back of my mind, how do you fix this? I don't expect anybody to have the magic answer here because we would be employed by the white Sox. Well, maybe a better organization than the white Sox if we did, but I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just telling every single White Sox hitter you're taking until first pitch strike. And I have not seen them employ this strategy at all. That's the first thing I can think of. When you look at the way that these guys piss away some of these at-bats, I get being selective at the plate. You can see Yasmani Grandal's plate approach is completely different than a lot of the other guys on this roster. And that's one of the reasons that he's celebrated in, in certain sects of, of White Sox Twitter, even for what he is. But at what point does Pedro Grifol or the White Sox coaching staff tell guys like Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, even Andrew Vaughn to an extent, you are taking until you have one strike on you, just to see more than three to four pitches 
in the at-bat. Do the White Sox really face every pitcher when he's just on outside of the one instance we saw, Johnny? Or is it the fact that the scouting report against these guys is you don't have to throw them a strike? You're listening to the national broadcast yesterday. I forget who Benetti was paired with, but there was a kind Tom of Verducci. It was Tom Verducci. He said something that was very striking to me. And that was, that's kind of in the DNA of the White Sox. You don't have to throw them a strike. When you've got an announcer on a national broadcast talking about what the book is on the scouting report for these guys, A, number one, that's fucking embarrassing on national television to just hear like, oh, those are my guys. Yeah, they're going to swing at everything. Where do you slow this down as an organization and say, that was an embarrassing moment. I don't think enough people have talked about that. I think we have here. I think a bunch of the other Sox podcasts and blogs have talked about it. But if we're all able to identify this as a problem, how has the organization not identified this as a problem? It's very simple. Um, it all comes back to an infrastructure issue because the very person at the top doesn't believe in investing in the infrastructure at the lower levels because he doesn't see it. I remember, I think it was two years ago, James Feagan at The Athletic wrote the article about how they were finally just giving guys in Winston-Salem and Birmingham heat maps on the opposing pitcher. Things that were literally being done by other organizations four and five years ago. They literally just got the pitching machines that will mimic the break of sliders and curveballs. They just got these things. They are so far behind the eight ball. It is truly disgusting. I joked about this years ago when I read the MVP machine back in 2018. I literally said other organizations are already moving past what's the information that's in this book. The White Sox are just getting caught up on Moneyball from 20 years ago. That's how antiquated and how out of step this organizational infrastructure is. And until that changes, nothing else matters. And none of this will matter because that's where this all starts. And you have an owner that literally thinks it's the same game as it was 40 years ago when he bought the team, literally thinks that it's played the exact same way and that nothing has changed other than you have a couple of rogue owners spending a lot of money on superstars. It's not even the same game it was 10 years ago, and they are so far behind the rest of the league. That's why we are where we are. Sad but true. Nailed it there, Steve. a good explanation for it to answer these uh, questions. I know you can you go and pile on. I'd like some of the comments that we got in here, um, you know, just traded for good players and hope they'd pan out naturally. Cause you know, I've always been a big proponent of um, Chris Getz needs to go yesterday. Um, I think Gordon laid out the perfect case for it when he was talking about what the Rays do and how they just are able to churn out players there. I think that made the case against it there. So yeah, th- th- that's one there. Um, let's see, we got drafts during the rebuild worse than the last two during the contention window. Yeah, you can go make that. I mean, Nick Madrigal was a draft pick. What do you take him for? That's brutal. Um, Zero due diligence and inability to truthfully self-reflect. That might be the biggest one here. Um, Because like you said, just going to stay the same as long as certain someone at the top is still at the top. As they say, what is the definition of insanity? That's it. Right. There's so many things you can come back with to that, Steve, but all of them revolve around the White Sox. So pick your poison. <laughs> it's bad. Okay. <laughs> I felt bad. like that was a mo- that was a moment of silence around. How- <laughs> yeah. We did the laughing- moment of silence for the 2023 White Sox already here. We, Three- we did the laughing because Just- we're uh, yeah laughing because we don't want to cry and yeah. i feel like now we're at like moments of silence for the 2023 chicago white Sox. And yeah they're, they're not it's, it's april guys and that sounds so bad to say five months left of this baby yeah we're gonna have to come up with some content for september because this could get really fucking interesting <laughs> by that point in time nathan hubbard has september a, yeah 
Yeah, we're going to still be doing this show. I, I'm, I'm saying we, we might need to act quicker than September at the rate this thing is going. Well, I'm just wondering what kind of content we're going to be trying to provide at on like, you know, the September, you know, mid-September Sunday fun day show, Steve. It, it's going to get really interesting. I'm already tossing beers behind me as we go here. Uh, bring back Chicken Willie and the Budweiser's. That's that's what we need. Everything went to shit after the uh, the Miller deal, but I'm not going to go too far into that. I did want to talk to you guys about the Hawk Harrelson interview on Foul Territory TV. I don't know if either of you guys got the chance to watch that. Steve, I think you did. But there was some really interesting things said about this organization out of the mouth of Hawk Harrelson. And some people give him credence, others won't. But he was around this org for a lot longer than than most people were. And he had some damning words about Brooks Boyer and some of the marketing and things that took place when he got retired. I think that was the big uh, sticking point from a lot of people. But I dug into some of the the not a family type things that took place within that interview and how the clubhouse was. And Johnny, I, I know you and I just went through this also. Uh, with our Blackhawks and in, in a change of a broadcast booth and a bunch of guys that had been around an organization for a long time that wanted to change their identity. What's really interesting to me is they they tried to, the White Sox from a marketing standpoint, tried to change their identity as a ball club. They went with the whole change the game slogan. You saw a bunch of, you know, different things that were out there. They took away Steve's dollar hot dogs. Um, and the marketing has been there. It's been successful from a marketing standpoint, but from an on-the-field product standpoint, you haven't seen the results to back any of that up. A lot of people are going to call for Rick Hahn's job. I, I think I already see that right now, but I don't yeah, think ben. you really change this identity until you get down to the core of it. And I, I, I'm i going to sit here right now and say, I don't think Brooks Boyer should be in charge of the marketing of the Chicago White Sox anymore. As you said, Steve, False advertisements. I think we need to take a long look and 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 really self-evaluate. The self-awareness of this ball club is so far from what it actually should be. I think that's a very accurate assessment. I mean, you know, you could make the argument that things really started to go downhill once the softball uniform started getting incorporated into this team's routine um because you know i think the first time they wore that was in early june of uh, 2021 let's look at their record since then i'm not saying i'm just saying so from a marketing standpoint you could definitely make that case right there that uh you know the south side softball jerseys ultimately ended the contention window so you know, there's that. Johnny's um, got the south side flag just rocking right behind him. As a I'm flag, gonna... as a flag, it's fine. Or even just as a t-shirt, it's fine. But that shouldn't be on a major league <laughs> baseball field as a uniform. No, no, absolutely not. No. Um, Steve but, for GM and head of marketing of the Chicago White Sox. I, I mean, you know, I do have a, uh, a a marketing degree from a very prestigious Midwest University, you know, so, I mean, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> you brought up the, the Hawk thing um, with, with the got retired there. Um I thought that was kind of interesting and kind of echoed the sort of rumblings that were out there about Pat Foley and the way that that thing ended um, with the Blackhawks, even though it was publicly, you know, touted as a mutual part ways retire sort of thing. Um, I just want to say that's sad because I love talk. So hate to hear that, but. Not, I'm also not shocked, given the kind of slop that we've all just trudged through here. Um, well, Johnny, I just want to ask you are, you, are you excited to see Jason Benetti continue to eat and chew into a microphone on your broadcast for the next four months, at oh, least? Yeah, totally. And then do a national broadcast a, where he, he enjoys 
watching Randy Rosarina just murder. He, dude, that's a that's the one thing I wanted to bring up, and it's not. I understand that these guys have to. They still have to acknowledge, you know, what's going on there, but you can brand it in a certain way, correct? What Jason Benetti does is he brands everything seemingly as a national baseball call, even when it's the local broadcast on NBC Sports Chicago. And some people love it and they get their rocks off to it. But I'm sorry, I don't care if someone made a great diving play for the Rays. I'd rather hear Hawks frustration after that than highlighting how great so-and-so, how great Brandon Lau is, how great fucking Randy Rosarina is. I don't want to hear that. And it really, when you're sitting through another tragic White Sox loss, which we've done a million times already this season, it get it really, I don't know, it really gets at me. That That's that's one thing that I really do miss from the Hawk. I'd rather, shit, I'd rather hear a half inning of Hawks Island sometimes than when Benetti's rambling about something like that. But that's, I guess, Sunday fun day, what grinds your gears section for Johnny here. Yeah, I guess, you know, our guy, uh, I think it was Pat Kamiski said something. Poor Len Casper wanted to come here to call a World Series oof. on the radio. I saw that the other day, and oof. I just thought to myself, I'm like, oof. Yeah, major oof. But, Steve, I'm, I'm curious how you feel on this. Do you, because it's going to be a different feeling as we have to go through White Sox futility with Jason Benetti and Steve Stone in the booth. I know how our guy Buzz feels about Stone, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes down. But, you know, at least Gordon Beckham sort of gives you something in that role. But if this get, continues to get bad, like how bad can it get with the national style call of Jason Benetti in a White Sox, not rebuild, not contention window, not when they have hope, but how bad can this broadcast get? Um, not that it's bad on a, on a surface level, because I think when the White Sox are winning, Benetti does a fine job. But as we get into the dark days, the days that you predicted in your season prediction, how bad can this get? And how are you going to feel listening to this as it rolls on? I'm going to feel fucking miserable. I mean, that's, I don't know how else to put this. Um, I'm already miserable. I know you think that I take joy in, in, in this. And I know you think that I take joy in seeing my prediction article come to fruition, but Trust me, that's not the case. Anybody that has known me for any extended period of time, you ask anybody in my family or anything, the performance of this team has more of an impact on my day-to-day -day mood than it should. And I, knowing what is likely about to happen, I just, it's fucking nauseating. And the idea of having to listen to conversation about, balloon animals in the stands or some other goofy hijinks going on amongst you know the 1400 people that are going to be showing up to games here in short order three of them right here <laughs> i mean it's gonna be just truly miserable um i don't think it's an exaggeration to say that this has the potential to be the darkest period of my fandom and I'm approaching and, and I'm, you know, almost 10 years older than both of you. As I know, John, Jonathan, I've got over a decade on you, but um, this has really got the potential to be uglier than anything I've ever experienced. Right. And the thing that gets me about this is that I know people hate the long season or the it's early comments right and I, i'm with you because i that doesn't excuse terrible play early on these games are still just as important as a game in mid-august or september what have you but when you go and look at it in a different mindset now let's take off the competitive you know side of it and look at it from a fan standpoint and it is a long season and it is still early in that regard because you're gonna have to do this shit all damn summer and it's gonna be miserable so like the anti whatever uh this clip from goodfellas it's gonna be a good summer it's gonna be a dog shit summer get ready <laughs> that's where i'm at 
it, it's kind of to the point where, you know, when we were at the ballpark last last week, Jonathan, it was like, you know, that Sunday game, they go up three nothing in the first inning, and then they don't score again after that. And then, you know, the first game of that doubleheader, they fall behind five nothing. They scratch back and claw and then get four runs back. So it's like they jump out early and you're thinking to yourself, they're not going to hold this. Or they fall down five runs early in the first innings. You're like, well, this thing is done. It's just the overall mood and everything surrounding this team right now is so bad. And for it to be happening so early in the calendar of a baseball season, I mean, it's going to lend itself to just some really, really dark, negative times at the ballpark. And that sucks. That completely sucks. Because even during those years, 2017 through 2019, they would you had hope. You had hope. You had hope. And it was like... But you knew what you were watching. You knew they weren't going out there and actively trying to win. And that's a whole separate discussion about whether that was the right thing to do or or not. That we're, We're not here to relitigate that. But you knew objectively what was happening in front of you. Right now, you don't know. Because the fact of the matter is you can look at this thing and say, they need to tear it down because this core group isn't it. They can't piece together performance and health at the same time. They haven't been able to do it. They haven't played quality, consistent baseball for almost two years now. So you can look at that and say they need to tear this thing down. They need to trade Cease. They need to trade Tim Anderson and any of the other guys that are on expiring deals. But you can't trust the people in charge to do it and do it correctly. Right. And so now you're in this, you're in this holding pattern where you just don't know what is going to happen. But the one thing you do know is that as bad as it is right now, it can absolutely get worse. And it will. It will. And that's the that's like the really sad part for me too. Because I'll be honest, I'm done with rebuilds. I would honestly rather see them if there was a way to just go out and buy a whole new team, right. Or at least, you know, the main, the main parts of it, that would be my route. Cause I don't want to go and sit through and fucking watch, you know, years of grainy highlights prospects from fucking, you know, low a and, uh, you know, Birmingham's so their cameras shit too, by the way. Um, but I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to cycle through that. And like you said, Steve, the biggest part of that is the people making the decisions at the top there. Um, that's the scariest part. Cause they're not qualified to do so you you've seen the results of rebuild one right well whatever we want to call it but where are we at i know in bulls land we're in like rebuild 3.0 rebuild two here right i ride rebuild two rebuild two okay so you've seen you've seen the results though right so i I, honestly i everyone talks about tearing it down but i feel like that they they don't understand the or at least they in the moment they say oh that's the only way that you can write this thing well is it even going to get righted then i don't know that's i doubt it so like you said you're in that kind of um limbo that's that's the best way i put it here's the the sad part too and you hit on something johnny i'm I'm done with rebuilds myself sports are getting to a point where at least from what i've looked at they're trying to make it harder to rebuild you've seen the implementation of draft lotteries you've seen talk about how commissioners don't like the rebuilding stuff. Um, And we're only going to get more and more in an environment within professional sports where rebuilds are going to be penalized. The White Sox were sort of that last rebuild that took place. There was a couple other teams that were able to execute on it. I think a little bit better. Look at the Baltimore Orioles as one of those organizations um, and it'll be interesting to see how Major League Baseball sort of combats it uh, with a little bit more enforcement than they had before. But when I look at the White Sox, it was a rebuild with a marketing plan behind it. I said this to Buzz on, on Friday, and 
I hate to double down on this, but it's almost like we were Bernie Madoff into believing that this thing was going to have far more returns than it ever did. And you wonder why there's so much angst amongst this fan base. It's because you had people out there believing that this whole entire decade was going to be White Sox dominance. And I really can't think of anything in human history outside of Bernie Madoff scamming a ton of people out of a fuck ton of money than what we're witnessing right here. It, it sucks as a baseball fan. Steve talked about it earlier. As a, as a baseball fan, you live and die with this every day. It's not just show up, watch your football team play on Sunday and come back and, you know, you can go through a whole work week and then think about your football team again. This is day in, day out. We do these post-game shows. We write about this team. We cover this. We're diehard White Sox fans. It is sad that we're sitting here right now talking about guys that are going to have to be traded in a potential rebuild three, and there's been absolutely no accountability. There's no oversight. There's no repercussion for this. And so when you think about how does this get better? I, I want to ask you guys, how does this get better? And the answer comes back to Jerry sells the team or dies. Like those are, I, I, that's it. That is I, it. I don't, I don't feel like that is a position that you want to be in as a fan, because a, you know, Jerry cares about his team. I don't think that's up for argument. I is will he, actually argue that. How could you argue that? I think somebody who paid very, very simply of simple. dollars for something cares about it. I, I, I will, I will argue that very simply. If he really cared as much as Scott Merkin and some of the guys that are around this team every day claim that he cares that nobody wants to win more than him, I would argue he's just bad at being an owner. No, no. He, if he really cared, Ken Williams, Rick Hahn, and everybody would have been gone after 2016. You could even make the case that they would have been gone after 2011. Okay? And that, that's a if, fair argument, Steve. I'm so, so you can't tell me that he really, truly cares about this thing when he just keeps trotting out the same group. I mean, let's think about this. Ken Williams has been the top decision maker in the White Sox organization, whether it's as the general manager or executive vice president, for 23 years now, 23 years, they have five playoff appearances, one of which is a Mickey Mouse playoff appearance, okay? So four playoff appearances that are real. He's literally, he's Bill Works 2.0. Sox Insane makes the great point. I I don't know. I want to go to Johnny on this because I feel like, there's one was there's one there's, was worse than the other. There's layers because you had certain you know um the whole TV thing. I mean that that alone that that's pretty ridiculous. Then obviously you saw the Blackhawks being voted the worst franchise in all sports back in what was that Sports Illustrated before the you know Dave's was that, era. 07, yeah, 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 around there. Um, but I mean, it, I I think it's a good point. I mean. It, I think you put put them on the same plane. That's where I'd be. <laughs> no, that's 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 absolutely fair. I think Steve, my argument comes from his pride is is too high to sell the team at this point in time. Though I and I, so I would argue that he cares. I don't think he cares about it the same way that anybody sitting on this show does. He cares about he, it in the sense that he can make twenty to twenty five million dollars in profit every year like clockwork because he is a very well-structured and and strong businessman with contracts. So he's very, he's very good at that. So he cares about it as far as his return on investment and, and the ROI that he gets for the board of directors. He cares about that. But I won't sit here and talk actual value and ROI because I, I don't, I haven't seen their books. So I, I won't throw out that he makes ROI on something. I, I find it hard to believe that he would own this team for 40 years if they weren't making money. That, then that's a fair assessment, but I just I would base that more into opinion and speculation versus actual factual knowledge. I've never seen the White Sox books. I don't know if 
anybody here seen the White Sox books, anybody listening to the show seen the White Sox books, he very well could take losses in some years. I'm not going to go into saying on this show whether or not he makes a profit or not, just because he very well could. It could be higher than what you're saying, Steve. On that note, though, you talk about keeping it in the family. I worry about the long term of this franchise. And I think he's too proud to actually get rid of the team and put us in a position where we're talking about something different than this on our Sunday at five o'clock. I wonder what the next step is. Cause Michael's got the bulls, right? That's well, kinda... he does. There's all that speculation and it's been going around for years now that um, he has told Michael, who who has actually been buying out some of the minority owners um, of, of this team. And there's all the speculation that he has told Michael to keep the Bulls and sell the Sox because the Bulls are a better business. And, and the deals of the Bulls still sell out, by the way, like every game. Oh, That's wild to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. And, you know, so you hear that. When Buzz shows up to more Bulls games than White Sox games, you know that they're a better business. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so, and, you know, you've heard some names about people that would be potential new owners for this team. And some of those names are out there in the open. If you just do a little tiny bit of digging. Um, But until that day happens, we don't know. And it's just brutal. And I've said this and I will stand by this position the day Jerry Reinsdorf's reign of terror ends will be the second happiest day of my life. I think that's a good way to put a bow on this discussion for right now. We're approaching the hour mark here. So I want to look ahead because there is still as much as we kind of went more grand vision uh, on this sort of thing. I think that was necessary therapy session for White Sox fans, but there's still baseball games coming up here. So let's look at series at Toronto. Are they um, baseball games or automatic wins for the opponent? Right. Monday, Lance Lynn, Chris Bassett. Tuesday, Mike Clevenger versus Jose Brios. And Wednesday finale, Michael Kopech versus Yusei Kaikuchi. Um, obviously, starting off there at the top, Lynn, I think this is a big prove-it game. It's weird to say that right now, but he's got to prove that he can adjust, right? I think that's that's kind of where I'm at here. I'm at the point where I need Steve to write an article looking at all of Lance Lynn's StatCast data and fix him before he takes the mound. I'm going to tell you this much. I looked at some stat cast pages and some of the guys pages on baseball savant earlier this morning. And I was really close to throwing up my breakfast. People, people very, very bad. People have been singling out a few certain people, certain players on this. Steve and I had this discussion. They've really been hammering Mike Clevenger. They've really been hammering Lance Lynn over some of the stuff really hammering Luis Robert over, you know, um, plate approach and stuff like that. And I get it. That's all fair. All, all fair analysis. Go and show me a White Sox players page that looks good, though. You can't. That's. Jake just, Berger. Just know that. Just know that when you go and look at one of those. That, yeah. All right. That was right. The, we were also kind of like in the middle of that before. You can't really, argue with yeah. me, guys. Gavin Sheets. The the highest hit pitch for a home run that looked good in the in the stat cast era. Other than that, Steve's right. Jake Berger, right? I don't. I don't. Even Dylan Cease is regret. Maybe Jimmy Lambert. I, I haven't actually gone and, and looked at Lambeau's page. Um, maybe that's one of them right there. Yeah, home run, home run. Uh, when they give that up, yeah, he's no. got a couple couple homers in the books that might eat at that a little bit. Oh, never mind. Those those walk off single at a Rosarina hit off yeah. him so. Not as bad, but yeah, that, that, that's the point there. But uh, getting get to the, the series, like I said, Lance Lynn and Chris Bassett. Um, feel like I, I go back my pr- prediction, I'll kind of hold that. I think they don't win a game throughout the rest of April, but if, as I'm looking at these here, the game that they should win is Wednesday, and it's weird now. You know, before we talked about gotta take two or three, now we're talking about can we steal one? At least that's where my head's at. I don't know about you guys, and I'm looking at Wednesday, you say Kaikuchi lefty right should be able to hammer him but at the same time michael kopech also you know susceptible to some damage against so i also i i would argue that if they were going to steal one 
I actually think that they would be more likely to steal Tuesday with Jose Barrios on the mound as bad as he has been uh, for the Minnesota or, or excuse me, for uh, the Toronto Blue Jays there. And, um, you know, the Sox have hammered him a couple of times in recent years. But the thing that is just very concerning is this team has played really bad north of the border for the last decade. Everybody wants to talk about Tampa and some of these other places being a house of horrors. They actually talked about this on the on the broadcast. Coming into this weekend, the Sox had been 8-5 and five in their last 13 games in Tampa. So while on the surface it feels like they haven't played that well, they actually have. Because I remember going down there in 2019 and seeing the Sox win two out of three on a team that lost 90 games, taking two out of three, and they were a couple pitches away from getting a sweep against that team that season. So, but north of the border, it's been a totally different story. They have just gone out there and they have been getting their brains beat in for close to a decade now. So that's where this thing, as painful as this week and this last series has been, these next three days could be even uglier. I hate to say that. I'm not even going to add anything to that. It's, I sort of agree with you guys. You have to win until I can start to predict that you're going to win anything. So at this point, I'm I'm sort of sitting there going, all right, prove it. Show me. Show me that you're showing up at the ballpark ready to kick some ass because everything feels like a lie to me. Well, first 710 start not until, what, May 12th. So I'm going to have to wait a few more weeks on that ass-kicking, Tony. Um, we'll be receiving until then. <laughs> Is is that this year's waiting for the division to show up? <laughs> yes, yes. Just mark it down. Yes. The jokes write themselves uh, sometimes. Yeah, they, they do write themselves. I, I gotta. I think everything's been pretty negative here, and understandably so. But we can take a win here at Socks on Tap, guys. I'm gonna take a win because Besnick and I ran the show at the end of the Philly series. Right. Looking, you know, recapping that, looking ahead to the weekend. And I titled it final in like the SpongeBob mocking, you know, sort of print. And I just did that because I'm so tired of seeing you when you see final period. You know, that's another fucking graphic of a score. That's a loss. So they did it again after we got walked off Friday. They did it again. And I immediately I was right on it from socks on tap responded with the actual spongebob mocking meme in final in the you know uppercase lowercase uppercase lowercase and then the next two days they've still been losses obviously on the field they have not tweeted final i noticed this johnny and i was actually going to send you a text message about it and ask you if you got in the head of the uh the twitter admin over there because i've noticed this development so Kudos to you for for getting across on this because I now that I know that you noticed this as well, um, they're gonna have to you know come up with something better than final. So socks on tap victory, you can take your W. I'll hand it to you. Yeah, we got to celebrate what we can here. So I'm taking that as a win. You're ahead of the curve, Jonathan. It's got to be such a rough job. And I don't mean to slight the, the oh, Twitter right. admin yeah. over there at all, but uh, you know, it, it's just it's funny. It's funny. Right, you just, it's you, know you can win it, ball games, and it would be much easier for your Twitter right. admin. So, like I guess, obviously, the, the social media admin is not playing the baseball games or managing the baseball games, right? But like, kind of bookending the show with this point. Any good that they do in the future can't be celebrated without a miracle run. So any home run that they hit and they got to share the video of it or whatever will still continue to get absolutely dragged in the replies until they go on some sort of miracle run, which isn't going to happen. So I feel bad. I feel bad for the admin, but at the same time, you needed to vary up the caption. So socks on tap wins this round. The fact that this team is getting absolutely dragged by Pittsburgh Pirates fans in their mentions after every single loss is just so sad to me. It's 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 very sad to see. Because we could be Pittsburgh Pirates fans running Pittsburgh Pirates on tap right now, doing post game shows and doing everything that we do for Actually this. talking about wins though. 
that's the difference. Actually talking about wins. And we could be dragging other fan bases, but we've got nothing to be proud about here. Outside of maybe our performance, and that's why we'll take our W. Johnny got the social media admin to stop saying final. That's what we accomplished this week in in the White Sox fan base. It got repetitive as hell, and obviously it's happening every day. So that's... Um, that's where it stands, man. Um, this show, I'm, I hope it was some sort of therapy session for even if it was just for one person out there listening. Um, we appreciate all of you tuning in, dropping your comments in here. Um, go ahead on tip sports on YouTube, subscribe, like there, um, click the little bell. You know, when we go live, um, we'll be, uh, live after all the Toronto series in Thursday. Um, and then off Friday, Saturday, some of us will be experiencing the pain in person, uh, on Saturday. So, I would say I'm looking forward to the week ahead. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys, but not watching the baseball games. That's where I'll leave it. That's my final thought. (laughs) Pain. I don't know what else to say. Pain. I don't have much else. I'm just going to kill this beer and throw it over my shoulder. There you go. Yeah. One of the many uh, MVPs in the comments here, Matthew Lucas, says thanks. Have a great uh, fuck yeah, thanks guys. Hope you have a great night. Hope you do too, man. Uh, despite it all, go socks. That's what we're here for. Anthony, were you at least able to land that thing on the pool table? White Sox forever. I got close, but White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs> <laughs>